No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast. We're thrilled that you're here with us, and uh, we've got a new one for you coming in at number 22 on the 2020 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. We have Ready to Die by the Notorious B.I.G. weird to say it that way i i have always <laughs> referred to him as biggie but uh um, biggie i guess he's also notorious i mean listen i'm not going to pretend to be to be an expert or have really listened to this or been into this genre when it was uh when this music came out or even now but um i think most people i knew referred to him as biggie i think that's got to be true I mean, it's easier to say. Sounds true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's to say. Um, and you're right. This is uh, We've been doing a lot of reviews you've heard recently, and, and a lot that are going to come up are ones we've already recorded. But this is a new one, and this yeah. is, again, on the, the trend of this new list. That This is our fifth hip-hop album so far, I believe. Uh, we're going to have two more. Uh, I'm including Voodoo, uh, D'Angelo's Voodoo in that, since it's... Yeah very hip-hop based uh, before we get to 30 we're gonna have two more so that's seven when last time it took us till what 45 to get to uh public enemy yeah right so something in there yeah i'm curious when we get there i guess we could count it out now but when we get to that album whatever number 45 is this time to say man last <laughs> that's how much this list has changed that's in right that's right eight years from when they did the 2012 2020 mm-hmm. uh how much the the influence and the selection has changed it's exciting to uh to see some it of is. those changes uh it also i think stretches us in ways that the first list didn't mm-hmm. necessarily <laughs> and takes us out of our comfort zone i think is a, a good way to begin um if you're a listener of this show hopefully you've already heard this episode but um we had my friend Daryl Foster on uh, a few weeks back, I guess now a couple months ago, when we tackled uh, Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy album, um, which came in at number 17. We began that episode with um, uh, a lengthy, I think it was almost a half an hour discussion mm-hmm. on language in um, rap and hip hop. And I think if you haven't heard that, I'd encourage you to go back, even if you don't like Kanye. Yeah. Go back and listen to the first half hour of that episode because I think it sets the table quite well for any of the hip hop that we are going to listen to on this journey. Yeah. And, um, and especially this album in particular, which definitely deserves to have an explicit lyric warning on the front of the cover. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then if, if you enjoyed that conversation, skip ahead two episodes to episode 19 mm-hmm. when we talk about, again, with our good friend Daryl, when we talk about Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, we had a similar conversation where we asked Daryl's insight again on the use of very sexually explicit language in hip hop. Yeah. And so both of those conversations are going to be very relevant to this album. Uh, this album, of course, a predecessor to both of those albums. And I want to make one more comment by way of introduction. 
Coming in at number 15 was Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. And that album, there's a big shift because that album came out in 1988 and then Ready to Die, this album we're discussing right now, comes out in 1994. And there's a huge shift in the type of language that's used. That album is, uh, although some strong words, some strong images, uh, it's quite clean. Uh, I don't feel uncomfortable playing that around my kids. Yeah, relative. well, I I don't think there's hardly any cursing on that at all, Ben. Uh, There's no explicit stamp on the album. Uh, the, The lyrics aren't overtly violent in any way although there's some some aggressive language and uh some anger but not it's not violent uh yeah and if you listen to something else from that era like nwa certainly a difference there but then i think you move into the 90s and again we'll get into this you hear hip-hop in general is more falling along these lines so i, I find it very interesting just the evolution of that how it's yeah. used and uh I think before we continue, um, would you like if I got into some details here? Yeah, I can feel myself wanting to talk about the album, so we better get those details out of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll set the stage here with we'll some details. Hold that thought, too, about the comparison That's right. to um, Public Enemy, because I think it's worth going down that trail for just a minute. Absolutely. Details, 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 details. Okay, so this album was released September 13th, 1994. This is Biggie's debut album. All the tracks have listed Christopher Wallace, that's uh, Biggie's birth name, as the primary songwriter. Uh, A lot of other co-credits for the songs. Lots of different people. Usually the producer, who's common with hip-hop. Various producers for different tracks. This album charted, uh, the highest it went was number three on the Billboard Top 20 in the U.S. I didn't see a chart position for the U.K. It might not have charted in the U.K. I don't know my history well enough to know how popular hip-hop was in the early 90s in the U.K. I know it was, but uh, I didn't see a chart for this album in the U.K. Sales to date are over 4 million. It's certified six times platinum in the U.S., so I believe that's over three million because platinum's half a million right ben you always have to remind me what what the different metals are <laughs> I, i'm pretty I sure platinum it's, is a million is platinum a million one million for albums two million for signals sales are over four, four million worldwide certified six times platinum in the u.s a couple notes uh this was only the second full album to be released by bad boy records uh, which was founded by Sean Combs, Sean Puff Daddy Combs, mm-hmm. P. Diddy. Um, who P Diddy. Diddy. Yeah, need to give all the names. No, <laughs> I think people, the artist formerly known as Puffy. Puffy, <laughs> uh, and you'll hear his voice a lot on the just kind of Collins. He's not quite as vocal as like uh, Flava Flav hype man mm-hmm. on. Uh, <laughs> On it takes a nation of millions for public enemy, but uh, you'll hear him throughout the album just kind of shouting out a bit. I don't think he he takes a verse at all, though. This is just uh, pretty much the whole album's just Biggie. Um, and then another thing that's come up a few times, Ben, is there was a lawsuit because, uh, as we've discussed on the other hip hop albums, and I think this one, just looking through the list, 
way more than the others. The sampler is a ton of sampling on this, which was very common. It still is, but especially in the early hip hop, to have a lot of, you know, that funk music, uh, soul music, jazz music to be sampled in. This has a lot. And in 2006, uh, Bridgeport Music and Westbound Records won a federal lawsuit against Bad Boy uh, for copyright infringements, with a jury deciding that uh, Sean Combs and Bad Boy had illegally used samples for three of the songs, Ready to Die, Machine Gun Funk, and Give Me the Loot. Uh, the jury awarded $4.2 million, and later they reduced it to $2.8 million, uh, in damages to the two plaintiffs, and the federal judge... Uh, enacted an immediate sales ban on the album <laughs> and the tracks in question. And therefore, and this is where I think it's really interesting, all versions of the album that have been released since then are without the samples. So I guess they would have had to go back and remaster them and take those samples out because right. the songs, I think those songs are still on the they album are. if you get it. Yeah, so uh, very, very interesting. Uh, so which album are we out. supposed to review? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I don't really, I don't know the samples well enough to know if I listen to the one with it or without it. I, I always try when I listen to it, and usually I listen to it on Spotify, unless I've got a copy, and for a lot of this, these I don't. I try and find just the original release. Yeah. Especially with the old ones that have, you know, a remastered or a mm-hmm. bonus edition or whatever. I try and find the original. Usually even those are touched up a bit. And sometimes I'll maybe listen to the original and then listen to remaster because they just kind of clean it up. But um, yeah, I guess I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we would have the ability to listen to the original version, given that we don't own it. And uh, yeah. anything that's come out since then is not going to have that. Maybe if we'd done our homework a little bit better, we could find it on a pirate right. uh, website somewhere. But you, you probably know you probably know somebody who has a, a hard copy. Uh, maybe um, <laughs> I don't know if I would or not yeah I, I, and I guess the lawsuit was significantly after this um, mm-hmm. this came out oh, so it's yeah, not like it years. came out in the you know in the first few months and, and so only a few made it out no. in the wild you're, you're right there's probably plenty of people who yeah. know the differences between the two speaking speaking of changes the uh, the CD version and I think the um the version that we listen to on Spotify has two bonus tracks. And so, Mm, right. um, Yeah. This is a, we haven't said this yet, but this is a concept album with a clear beginning, a clear, a clear ending. Um, Mm. And it was jarring to me knowing, doing a bit of research, knowing about that. And then knowing that there've been two songs tacked onto it. Um, We'll get into the album a little bit more, but I think to really be, um, evaluating this based on the artist's concept it's really not fair to be be reviewing this with the two bonus tracks uh, as well so um, at least in my head when i'm talking about this i'm thinking about it closing out as track 17 and and not the two additional ones that were tacked on for for re-releases later on i agree Uh, album artwork I think we can say is fairly iconic. I recognize it, even though I yeah. didn't know which one. I, I knew I had seen it before. Again, the font is very... <laughs> I know. You should Google it when we're talking about it, but uh, the font is, to me, very 90s. Uh, I don't know. I find graphic design in the 90s just weird. But <laughs> it's white background with just a, a young 
boy, maybe a, I wouldn't say baby. He's sitting up, maybe a year yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, young black male, uh, but he's got a, like a fairly large afro. Um, and this was intentional because it is a concept album, as you said. The the cover image uh, is intended to pertain to that concept yeah. uh, of the artist's uh, life from birth to his death. And so uh, so that's kind of what that's supposed to signify, which I, I also thought was funny because Biggie typically had very short hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, it's, it's kind of a little misleading too, don't you think? You mean like it feels sort of like it's going to have some innocence with a, a baby on the cover? It's a, it's a gentle image. Like there's yeah. nothing yeah. harsh about it. Like it's there's nothing tongue in cheek. There's nothing. I could say the same for rock, but some hip hop album covers are a little more. I don't want to say necessarily offensive, but a little more. You know, grab you a little shock and awe on some of them. Uh, this one is very gentle, and the album is is not uh as we'll see the album is is quite is quite harsh is poignant um is intense Um, but this uh this album is in many lists is listed as one of the best album uh covers uh, album art rather in hip-hop this is very iconic it had a a brief moment of controversy um naz's album illmatic came out uh, a few few months before it i think and it had uh, oh. a picture of baby nas on the front and uh okay and so people were wondering if he'd sort of ripped off the idea from from nas but um uh i don't know to me they seem like very different covers i've i've looked wow. at both of them side by side and they don't feel to me like like one is taking advantage of the other um aside from putting a, no. a single kid on the cover I think. I mean, that, the, that's actually a picture of, of Nas as right, a boy. Right, right. And this is front, not Biggie. Right? This, this is not. Uh, no, it's not Biggie. A, uh, a stand-in. Yeah, I, stand-in. I, I do like the um, sort of uh, floating uh, ethereal quality to the, the the album cover. Like the fact that it's white almost does imply afterlife or something. Yeah. Um, so you know the this sort of young innocence, but also afterlife somehow blended together. I think it, it's very easy to sort of just dismiss this cover as simple, simplistic, but I, I think there's some stuff going on here um, intentionally. Even the weird '90s font transitioning from from black to red through the sort of white feels to me like strength to sort of blood or death. Um, right. Some interesting choices there in that weird '90s way. <laughs> Yep. Uh, this speaks something, I guess, to the you know underlying racism in in uh, American culture. But this kid on the cover, his his mom had sent him out for a bunch of different jobs, but because he had frizzy uh, black fro, um, he he didn't really book any modeling gigs until Biggie said, "Yeah, that's the baby that we want on the cover." Um, oh wow! And. Because he was so obscure and unknown, they gave him 150 bucks for um, sitting for this photo. And so <laughs> he sort of is, I guess he's had something to hold up and say, that's me. But um, yeah, it didn't really uh, make much for wow. the, the, the sort of popularity of this album. And yeah. it, it's a really cute kid, but I guess 
yeah, we sort of even typecast our, our infants into what we expect wow. them to look like in this uh, backwards country at times. <laughs> yeah, I guess who made more, this kid or the baby on uh, Nirvana's Nevermind? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who got messed up more by being on that cover? If it right, was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Ben, uh, had you... Is this an album you grew up with? Because this is, uh, again, one of the few that we've talked about, especially in the last list, but certainly there's a little more in this one. The few that yeah. came out during, while we were alive, right, <laughs> before we right. were alive. Yeah, I, I can't say that I remember going to the store with my mom and as a 12-year-old and having her <laughs> get it for me. Um, I don't think it was on the stand in Mitchell's Christian bookstore. Um, Probably not. No, I don't think so. I, I, I mean... Definitely not when it came out. I, I don't think as a 12-year-old oh, I would no. have been oh, around geez, anyone no. playing this. Uh, definitely as a teenager, we had friends who were more into rap and hip-hop than we were. And I'm guessing it was probably on uh, at our friend Aaron's house at some point. Yeah. Um, although he he sided far more with uh, Tupac in terms of the Coast's uh, preferences there. Yeah. But there's a familiarity to it when I listen to it that yeah. makes me think it must have been on in certain spaces at different times of my life. Um, I don't know if it's just the, the pace or the tone of Biggie's voice. It's not something that I, I feel like I grew up with. For, a, for an album from the 90s, I, I feel fairly distant from it. How about you? No. Uh, I certainly remember, I've mentioned before that uh, when I was in like grade 9, grade 10s, so we're talking like 90... 697 i watched a lot of much music which again is canada's version of mtv um and that's when uh, uh hypnotize came out which was the huge hit off biggie's next album um and i remember listening to that and watching the video a ton so i was super familiar with that but i didn't wasn't really familiar with this not at the time uh listening to it now i recognized uh Big Papa and Juicy, but again, these are ones that I heard much, much later. You know, maybe yeah. someone had yeah. a, a playlist, like a classic '90s hip hop playlist on Spotify. But um, I think I had an idea, or I thought I had an idea of what what it would sound like, but mm -hmm. really never had a chance or never took an opportunity to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Uh, this is not it's not music that you and I have talked about that, that we would have even approached right. as teens. Uh, right. This was off limits and we didn't... I, I was never... <laughs> I never felt compelled. It was no. too... It was too... To me, it was too grown up. It was too dangerous. It was... Uh, if I had heard it on it... I do... I want to share one story. I don't think I've shared this yet. I didn't listen to any, really any hip-hop at all. There was one day we were driving into the mall and I saw some paper blowing across the parking lot. I told my mom to stop the car. I ran across the, pa the parking lot. It blew into the curb and I picked it up two fresh $20 bills um, that I spotted and so... What, what did I do? So I went and bought CDs <laughs> with 40 bucks. Um, and uh, I think, you know what they say about money, like easy come, easy go? I think that two really bad choices 
in terms of CDs, <laughs> what I bought that day. And I, again, I wasn't into hip hop, but I was compelled. Something about Busta Rhymes was compelling to me. So I bought whatever album had just come out and uh, brought it home and listened to it. And it was not my thing. <laughs> it just, uh, and one thing that was really challenging for me was the language. And even though mm. it was mine and I was listening to it in my room and my parents really never questioned what I bought or what I listened to. You know, I didn't, nothing was really some of them, you know, I listened to some Green Day, right? So there's a little bit of swearing, but really nothing was. But that album was like, whoa, this is a little more. It just, it was too much. Mm. And I think that um, if someone had presented this music to me at the time, even though that, now we're talking like maybe 97, 98, a few years after this, but certainly at the time, I wouldn't have known, even known how to approach this. Even listening to it as an adult, <laughs> a couple of songs, I'm going, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if I should be listening to this. This is too much. <laughs> I, I I don't know if we're ready to talk about tracks yet. Yeah. <laughs> One more chance. Uh, yeah. I I almost find myself blushing a little bit listening to that song. <laughs> it's, it's like very extremely overt. There, there was some music that we knew was just not appropriate for us. Um, mm -hmm. And the, again, there were... I knew some peers who did enjoy this who were into this and that just felt like way outside of my comfort level mm -hmm. i'm trying to like put my finger on I'm, I'm glad you started out by making that comparison to public enemy because i was struggling a little bit to figure out why i can listen to public enemy and feel some nostalgia for an older kind of hip hip-hop but i listened to this album and it, and it like it grates a little bit more and i think mm. like oh man that's that's harsh i don't know why one feels uh more approachable than the other because they're both talking about like really intense real world stuff but maybe it is just simply the sort of graphic language of this album comparatively it's not like like we just tackled fairly recently that the two more modern hip-hop records Kanye and Kendrick Lamar mm -hmm. uh, that also are sort of fairly graphic at times yeah. um, but, but neither of them I don't know if it's like like so one thing about Biggie's voice is that it is it barks at you like it is a, aggressive and um, yes assertive and there's a like a strength and a power mm -hmm. to it uh, just when he's talking that um, I don't know almost like makes you makes you pay attention to the actual words a little bit more <laughs> than um, than sort of the way Kanye sings a lot of his lyrics um, the way uh, Kendrick almost has like a, a, a I don't know if it's like a lower he, he's just not as as uh, aggressive in his his speech um, but then I think about public enemy and they sort of um, they are barking their lyrics at times too with a uh, yeah, a fairly aggressive. Way. So I I don't know something about this one though. It's a challenge for me to to really get into in a way that, that those other three albums that we've been sort of holding up in, as comparison um, are not. Now there's some exceptions uh, when I hear the, the sort of bigger radio hits. Those ones feel really easy to get back into that moment in time. But um, I I have a theory here, and I I'm I'm going to throw this out at 
try not to laugh too hard when I say this, but uh, <laughs> I wonder if there's a, a, a term in hip hop that would parallel a rock opera. Okay. Because I think really what Biggie has created here is a rock opera in a different genre. It's got a, a beginning, middle, and an end. Yep. It has a story arc um, that has a sort of pivotal turning point climax. I don't love rock opera. And I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if what I'm struggling here a little bit with is that I don't love rock opera done in other genres. And <laughs> maybe that's my, my hang up here with this. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I think also it's certainly a, a way of speaking and communicating that mm -hmm. is not common to us, right? True. We, there's a lot of people who do speak like this. I'm not just talking about, you know, cursing and, and talking this way. However, I think it's more common. It's more common in the, some of the people, the media that people are into. So it takes you out of your element. Plus you're, you're a family man. You're, you're at home with the kids right now. Mm -hmm. So this is not anywhere near the sphere. So I, that can be, you know, a little jarring. And I, I think that's part of it about the concept album. I find that um, it feels more like a framework than really, having different themes totally weaved into throughout it like it feels does feel more like a rock opera than a concept album in that sense because it's more about some of the content and the framework of them rather than really having it intertwined yeah there's other albums we've listened to where you can hear the musical and lyrical themes just weaving in and out i don't feel that this i do think it's a concept album but it feels more like just kind of just kind of set up that way and there's a yeah. lot of i'll use a word this isn't meant to be negative filler like there's a lot of lyrics within each song that don't necessarily have to do with that concept yeah it's theatrical too i mean like some of the it interludes yes. are yeah like for sure, a picture for sure. of who this character is that the album is is based on uh, that is something i found very compelling uh we hear a lot of hip-hop especially in the 90s and beyond you know we talk about People use the term, you know, gangster rap, and 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 I think a lot of people, even myself included, don't really know what that means, but kind of an idea of where that came from and what that means, and kind of yeah. the persona. You see a lot of young men modeling after this persona. I found it very compelling that this character you mentioned that he's portraying uh, is not really a character; like it's based on his experiences, uh, not verbatim. But certainly many that he he did go through, you know, the, the drug dealing, having arms, uh, having guns with him, uh, you know, committing, committing felonies. I found it so interesting that he's portraying these things that we know from biography that he actually did a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I found that interesting at the beginning of kind of this genre I think later on you hear a lot of people uh, glorifying and glamorizing and uh, fictionalizing. Is that a word? Mm. Sure. Uh, uh, this idea of a powerful man who's you know, a, a rap artist and famous, wealthy, uh, got uh, sexual influence, uh, is is a like a kind of crime kingpin. Um, successful in crime and heist and has drugs you know yet for biggie like this that is where that is where he came from and that is what got him or at least it's how he survived until he got to this point 
Uh, and I found that very compelling that, I mean, sometimes I can't tell if he's glorifying it or if he's just kind of, kind of honoring his roots mm-hmm. because uh, he talks about, you know, being can't believe that he's in the rap game and kind of proud of where he is. I can't imagine that he would by choice go back to that life uh, after living, you know, a life of luxury. Mm-hmm. like which is legitimate uh, <laughs> and going back to kind of a, an, an illegitimate life uh, I don't know I can't I can't speak for that but I just found it very interesting and I also found it interesting that as I mentioned before I think that many of the artists that come after this again is fictitious and a lot of this even though it might be embellished or maybe uh, you know just changed to, to fit the song is is not is not entirely fictitious mm. It's fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Uh, for starters, this is a debut album, so like yeah. he hasn't oh, he hasn't yet tasted the fame that the album references. Um, at least while he's in the recording studio, yeah. he he's he's probably he's had some accolades as a, a rapper in in certain party and club scenes. Yeah, yeah, and that's why he gets signed and why he's making the album. But he doesn't have the the wealth rolling in that this album references and, and sort of leads to the the character's downfall. Um, and yet he's he's sort of speaking prophetically about what yeah. that does to people and, and the dangers of it. And so well, it it makes me forget yeah that fact that that he hadn't actually at this point when he right. had got, I yeah I feel like maybe like being with with Puffy. And some other people in the industry, I think he was starting to taste it mm. um, and kind of be because uh, Puff Daddy was was with another company and they were going to start making it. I think they started making the album and then that went south. I think he, he was released or or that company fell apart. And then it was in kind of a, a bit of a period where nothing happened and he went back to he went back to dealing just to make money. Well, Sean Combs was setting up Bad Boy, and then yeah. they finished the album, um, and that's where once he got into Bad Boy, that's where it's, that's where they did some of the big hits, uh, Juicy and Big Papa, kind of after. So, I think maybe he had a taste, but you're absolutely right; he he wasn't he hadn't totally got there yet. Although it is right. prophetic it's, it, that he did get that all that fame. I wanted to talk about something else, if we could. Well, it's it's an idea that we talked a lot about with Daryl when we talked about uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. The idea, and I think even the reality that he explored on that album, there's a conflict, I think specifically uh, black men, young black men, that you're either uh, totally down and out, uh, impoverished, perhaps living a criminal life, or you're incredibly wealthy and famous, and there's nothing in between. Um, and he, he talked about that in a lot like that. There's a lot of political messages in to pimp butterfly. And that, that's one that comes up on a few different songs. And I found it very interesting that that's coming up here a bit on this album too. Mm -hmm. There's a few different things, but one lyric that really jumped out at me in, uh, things done change, either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Yeah. (laughs) The idea that, uh, you're, you know, as a, as a young black man, like there really is no middle ground. Like you yep. can't, uh, this feeling that you can't just live a regular American life. Either you're, you're a 
criminal because you have to be because you're impoverished or you've been lifted up to this uh, level of fame because of some ability or, or yeah. success you've had and and it's and it's excess and that yep. that can lead to a downfall too as this talks about it. And i thought it was very interesting how how this precedes those ideas how that how that sorry i guess what i'm trying to say is and i knew this but just being educated more that 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 wasn't really a new idea at all with kendrick lamar that that's something that's been around for a while probably even long before this but something it's interesting it's something that is reflected on yeah absolutely i i i think i think that's the piece of that um to pimp a butterfly album that has stuck in my head the most that the idea that you're at the bottom or you're a celebrity and mm-hmm. it's often a celebrity because the white man chose you to be their celebrity right like yes. for me. Boy. yeah um yeah so yeah there is uh, yeah absolutely and to see it here too mm-hmm. early influence in in the hip-hop uh, genre as well as um a good reminder of just how much life we've lived without uh, really even considering that dynamic. It was somewhat, um, I guess, eye-opening for me to hear Daryl say, yeah, it was not uncommon for me to get on a plane and have someone's people say, you know, what team do you play for? Like the only way that yeah. you, you know, a young black man would be flying on a plane is because you're because you're famous because you're you're on a sport because you're on a sports team right right there's no other way that you could uh have this kind of wealth to be flying which which is awful but as as he said in his experience is just again just a, a peer of ours a regular guy this was a, something that he experienced numerous times it was yeah. he said it was surprising refreshing when someone finally said one day you know are, are you traveling for business and he was just stunned <laughs> that, that he was asked that so yeah just something that i picked up on and again you know you know i mentioned this is not our wheelhouse this is outside of our kind of comfort zone and and certainly our experience growing up in southern ontario as as two caucasian men yeah a really interesting aspect of of the album and the concept and the character yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really fascinating how artists choose to take sort of downtime between tracks to um, sort of paint a picture. And I'm thinking back to Lauren Hill with the sort of teacher in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It certainly gives that album a sense that you are getting an education. This album I... is is not shy to sort of... <laughs> add the grittiness to to the you know as if the lyrics weren't enough let's just like give you some uh you know explicit sex or um or you know gun violence or right um, yeah you know like really intense arguments it's, mm. it's really gritty and you know it's, yeah, it's, it's part wrong. of the it's part of the opera <laughs> and it sets a mood and i i think it'd feel like a very very different album if all of that was taken out in the same way that that um the miseducation of lauren hill would would feel somewhat different as yeah. well i don't know for for some reason on this one in particular i i feel somewhat more like i'm being lied to i i know now that the lauren hill classroom setting was completely fabricated mm-hmm. um 
But it was still a teacher asking questions to young adults, and they were giving their sort of candid off-the-cuff remarks. Everything on this album feels scripted to try and get you into a certain headspace, I guess. And I, sure. I don't know that that feels strangely different for for some other some odd reason. Um, and I don't always. I think you talked about blushing. <laughs> I think that's like, like my least favorite part of going through this is is um, yeah. stepping away from the music to try and like create a vibe because I think he's he's a powerful artist in his lyrical poetry. I don't really need the sort of side stuff, and maybe maybe that's the <laughs> I don't know uh, prudish nature of being a stay at home dad that I find myself <laughs> right now, but. Um, it doesn't do much for me, the interludes. I recognize that uh, it's about the storytelling, too. It, yeah. It's it's laying, you know, a bit of a through line, a bit of a story there. And it does feel, um, it's. I think it's genuine in terms of their experience and culture and as producers and songwriters, what the, the story they're trying to portray. Mm-hmm. And I think the persona that not only they're creating for the album but the persona i think that many people in that industry are trying to achieve uh, yeah this kind of person who's uh feared and revered and successful and desirable yeah and yeah. has everything everything you would want that's that's yeah. the dream um yeah. you know and a lot of rag, rags to riches kind of thing yeah because again, that's the experience for many, many people. Like many uh, famous, I got to say specifically, because because this is what we're talking about, specifically black males. That's the that's the story because they grew up with nothing and then became like we're yeah. on top of the world, um, and that's dramatic in itself. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've talked many times about how opening tracks can set the table for the rest of the album and mm. like immediately take you to a place that. The, the interlude that I think does oh. really do it best is the intro, right? It's because intense. it does really go yeah. from like the pain of childbirth to yeah. sort of adulthood in three and a half minutes. And, um, yeah. and man, like it, it, I almost like, I think I actually paused while I was listening to it very first time and texted you and was like, oh man, I'm not even through the first track and I don't know what to do with this album. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's a lot, right? It pulls you in and it, it tells you, okay, this is going to be an intense journey. Um, buckle up. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, from, exactly. From childbirth to, you know, uh, as a child witnessing a, a violent marriage breakdown and then uh, being involved in crime at a young age. Yeah, it, it, uh, it paints the picture. It's and it, and it sets the stage for this is what this is what this is going to be about. Yeah, it's intense. But the whole album is intense. Even the slower songs, <laughs> yeah. like every, everything, everything I think is very intense. Um, I will say one thing before we move on: is that even when I kind of turned off my brain about the lyrics, um, just the just listening to the beats and the and the the rhythm of his voice. Mm. It was really enjoyable. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I kind of clue into the lyrics and go, "Oh, I don't really like that," or "That's not really not my thing." But other times I just, I just, you know, doing the dishes and my my head just bobbing away because it's really, really catchy. Uh, the the music is really easy to listen to. Great sampling. Great. I love the beats. Uh, mm-hmm. Very different style of drum beat from what we hear, you know, six years earlier on 
takes a nation of millions. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard an, a change in hip hop music at this point, and I really like that. Um, I love some of the, the slap bass in uh, Juicy. I just absolutely love. Like I, I really enjoy playing bass as well. I can't play it like that, but <laughs> I, I really like the sound and the style in that. Um, yeah, just very enjoyable. Um, especially when I'm not kind of absorbed in the, the lyrics. I'm trying to figure out um, the sampling. You're right. There's there's a lot of sampling going it's on. It's yeah. different than um, any of the other albums on this list that we've gone through so yeah. far. But I don't. I think maybe because his voice is so commanding, I think the music kind of disappears a little bit more on this album than some of the other ones. And I think that's an interesting dynamic too, that the personality of his voice kind of dominates the sampling that, that's present there. Now, maybe we're, because we're listening to the inferior version after uh, the lawsuit, maybe we <laughs> have said that uh, 10 years ago. But... But, and there's a difference here too. If we compare again to, to Kanye's uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy and a lot of his other work, those sound samples are processed and modified and changed yeah. yeah and a lot of them are very much tongue-in-cheek like oh some of you might recognize this and and kind of slap it right in your face like the intro you know is a kind of a somewhat obscure <laughs> yeah song yep. from the 80s uh, featuring john anderson from yes and some people are going oh i know that but even if you don't it's right there where this is just like I don't think any, maybe maybe some tempo and pitch modified a bit, but it's just straight up. They've inserted a sound or, or a beat or a hook to be part of the song. Because that's what, that's what early hip hop was. Just playing, you know, got your deck with a couple vinyl there and mixing mm-hmm. them in mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, on a beat so that some, uh, an MC can, can rap on it. Yep. And that's what most of this is. It's just that blended in very different than Kanye's heavily produced and modified uh, sound bites. Yep. And there's something, yeah, there's something very uh, fluid about it all. It's just kind of, it does just disappear. Very easy. Just as music, very easy to listen to. Very catchy. Really fun. And, and, and nostalgic because that was, it feels like the nineties. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of thing that would be on in the background uh, or the kind of style of music, you know, watching Fresh Prince. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, that, that's what we were exposed to. It was a little more uh, family friendly. Yep. Uh, we do have, uh, as you probably know, a playlist on Spotify, SoundLogic Favorites. We like to pick a couple tracks every time we review an album to put on that playlist. Ben, what track would you pick if you had to pick one? Um, boy, it's really tempting to go with, uh, Big Papa or Juicy just because of the familiarity of those two, but I kind of like Give Me the Loot. That's the one that I think I've fun, eh? in, in my head a bit more than any <laughs> yeah. of the others. I like that song. No, I really like that. That's a good, yeah, I'm tempted to go with the two hits, but, uh, I really like that. Um, I'm going to go with Juicy. It's the one I'm most familiar with. It's, it's a ton of fun. It uh, it's very smooth. It's not quite as in your face, but it's still got all that feeling. Um, you know, he shouts out the kind of again that persona, his experience uh, as a younger man coming into this, 
um, it's it. I think it really is one of the songs that really embodies kind of the whole idea of the album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's nostalgic. It's one I've heard for a while, not from when it came out, but um, no, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it represents. I mean, there's so many, but I think it represents the album very well. Right. Before we dive into our conclusions, um, I. I think it's worth pointing out that um, you know this this artist, this figure, was part of you know that that East Coast West Coast uh, origin story that was so big in, in hip hop. Um, his sort of friendship that turned into a feud with Tupac Shakur. Um, I have some sadness that Tupac, who I'm quite a bit more familiar with doesn't appear until number 436 on this list and he's that's actually the first time he's been featured on any of these um rolling stone lists really um it's going to take us quite a while to get to that album Um, yeah but i i wish sort of that we could review these two in tandem because yeah i think they kind of held their place I, i don't remember if you joined aaron and i but at some point we went to the theater to watch uh uh, Tupac documentary during our corn picking days and um, it was a, a strange experience we were somewhere in the states I think I think it was probably while we were in Ohio West Virginia and the theater was mostly uh, African American people um, <laughs> but we it was compelling to just sit there and watch this story unfold um, and I think I find that part of this moment in music history um at least as interesting as the music the sort of story the the labels the dynamics the power the wealth um the quotes that kind of come from that era too and and the stuff that it launched like i think that sort of back and forth um leads to pretty much every other significant rap and hip-hop artist that that followed um because sort of people chose their sides tried to figure out what they felt about the the tragic loss of these two incredible artists and um and sort of chose a path forward from that yeah well said yeah i was thinking about that too as i listened to this how that they kind of they feel like a bit of a pair to me especially because i i remember i remember i was working at my cousin's uh on the farm and we had a, a radio uh, i'd go and do chores early in the morning with his dad my my great uncle len was uh in his late 70s at the time and and always had the news on on the radio uh-huh. early in the morning and i remember hearing you know them announcing uh that tupac had been shot and i mean my uncle probably had no idea <laughs> who, <laughs> who that was or even maybe even what hip-hop music was at the time but i remember, I remember hearing it i remember yeah. hearing it on the radio um, interesting and that and then the biggie the next year so uh i do it is those are events that i remember yeah even though i wasn't really invested in the music uh, at the time (laughs) so that brings us to uh some of our concluding questions here uh is the album still relevant to you ben is uh of course hip-hop still very relevant but this album is now getting on it's what 27 years now uh since it was released Uh, what do you think i think i don't know (laughs) I think the answer is I don't know. I don't know because I don't know enough about this genre, about, you know, how it's viewed. I don't, I don't know if true hip hop fans see this as like 
we see Nirvana, right? Like, uh, you know, something that was really important back then, but um, a genre that we just don't listen to all that much anymore. Um, or if they see it as like timeless and, you know, a bit more like uh, we'd, we'd view a band maybe like U2 or something but that just keeps continuing to sound like it has the ability to fit with whatever time. Um, and I don't have the wisdom, background, or knowledge to, to sort of have a sense of its relevancy. Yeah. I think it fits with what I think of um, rap and hip hop music today, but it sounds so different than the two more recent albums that we've tackled. So certainly sound-wise, it's it's changed, but mm-hmm. but um, but it's also influential too. So I guess my answer, maybe for the first time ever after 100 episodes, is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would go ahead and guess that of those two possibilities you presented, it's uh, the latter. That this is still held up as one of the best albums and best artists um, of all time in hip-hop. And it's a foundation, or, well, it's not the first hip-hop, but it's part of the foundation that's been laid for what we have now. And we we talked about Tupac and talked about Kendrick Lamar. That was a huge inspiration for it to be yeah. Butterfly. Yeah. He was going. He had initially intended to name the album after Tupac, um, and has a whole skit at the end where he is he's edited himself in yeah. having a conversation with him mm-hmm. based on a audio of an interview that Tupac had done. I hear that, and I really think that uh, it is still foundational um i still think especially as we're there's uh, <laughs> a lot of the music uh, maybe us and people who are maybe five years older than us um when we get together and we put on quote nostalgic music uh, i hear people wanting to turn this on a lot i mean people you know juicy big papa going oh yeah i remember that again people who are literal a little older a lot of um my kids peers their parents are like we were quite young when we had kids um, and their parents are maybe five to ten years older than us, so I do, I do hear this a lot as people dig out the music that they enjoyed growing up. So I yeah. think so. Yeah. I think it is very relevant. I think you would hear it at a club, certainly if they're if they're spinning any uh, '90s hip hop. This stuff's going to come up for sure. That's again being a little ignorant. Uh, that's my take on it. The ranking this uh, actually was on all the other lists. It was about the same ranking for each one. It was uh, 133 in the 2003 list in the book, and then just down one to 134 in the 2012 list. It jumps up here all the way to 22. Yeah. So that's a huge jump, but it's in good company with some of the other hip-hop albums that have jumped up here. And if we look at that 2012 list, uh, it is one of the first hip-hop albums on that list there's only a mm-hmm. few before it yeah I don't, i'm not sure what i think about about the the ranking i like you said you know tupac was was hugely influential yeah uh, and had i think biggie only had the two albums uh they might have done a third one um posthumously but tupac had two or three i think at least uh i'm surprised that one of them isn't up here mm-hmm. uh, nearby that we have to wait till the 400s to get one but um i think it's appropriate i think if this list looks at kind of the what's influenced 
our current music the most in the last 20 30 years i think this should be right up there yeah um i i wouldn't if this came in you know between 30 and 40 i think that would be appropriate as well but i don't have a problem with it here i think that's fine what about you what do you think yeah i, I like just scanning around what else is here the albums we've already referenced that we've gone through uh coming up we've got wu-tang clan and d'angelo we've got um uh, Dr. Dre coming up here in a in a mm. another pack of albums and uh, yeah. a tribe called Quest Nas. Right, those all kind of go together in my mind as far as like you know foundational artists that should be present on this list somewhere. Right. Um, yeah. I'm still not quite sure whether you know what what a list like this is supposed to look like when we're adding in more genre representation. We've talked about this with jazz. When you put on a few token albums, are you doing a disservice to jazz or are you helping the cause by, by adding a few? <laughs> um, right. There's tons of other rap music that I don't think we're aware of that's not going to be on this list. That's going to be in the sort of same influence and popularity level as something like um, uh, The Velvet Underground. Um, but because it's, you know, it, it's influenced rock and roll it gets to stay there whereas something in a sort of comparable space that would be rapper hip-hop it's not going to be on this list and so um i don't know that's kind of a long-winded say way of saying like this this gets harder the more diversity we add to this list to, to sort of determine what should be here and and what the end goal of this list is supposed to be um if it's really about the greatest albums of all time there's definitely a spot here for Biggie in some in some way. Yeah, um, for sure. I just don't know where that is uh, held up with all the other great music from all the other <laughs> genres right. as well. And I guess, you know, that same thing could be said for any of the other rap and hip hop that we've tackled so far as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, for and, sure. And really anything like I should be saying, saying that for. <laughs> any other amendments? <laughs> uh, apparently i'm still struggling with what exactly we're doing here <laughs> well the one thing we're doing here is we always like to talk about if this artist has any other albums on the top 500 and the answer is no uh they did not include his uh second album which is interesting because to me that like um, no to uh sorry hypnotize oh, such a massive hit from uh, his second album, Life yeah. After Death. But uh, no, that's it. And and I also find it very interesting when you have an artist that has an album very, very high up on the list, but then has nothing else. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of that, in this case at least, is because of the shortness of his life. For sure. Career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I find it interesting nonetheless. So this, that, this is it. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to say about Biggie? Since your last chance you're going to get. Yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to tackle this one. I, um, I Like we said at the sort of onset, these these albums outside of our comfort zones really are, are stretching. And, and um, yeah. I feel like when we've got, you know, a couple of weeks to tackle each of them, it, it almost feels like, I think I felt this with every rap and hip hop album we've done so far. Like I, I could have taken another couple months to really... <laughs> try and yeah. get to the bottom of what I was just just uh, brushing the surface of and um, 
And For so sure. I guess that's a, a half-hearted apology to those rap and hip-hop <laughs> fans out there, but also an appreciation yeah. for the people who've joined us for some of those episodes to really give us a, yeah. some help along the way. But um, hopefully we did this one good enough for, for what you'd expect from the Mike and Ben uh, solo show. But yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been fun again. And if you don't know, now you know. Right. <laughs> well, what do we got coming up next time, Ben? Next time we are back to uh, dusting off one of our classic reviews. It's interesting that I just referenced uh, the Velvet Underground um, because they're up next at number 23, their self-titled album, The Velvet Underground and Nico. Uh, we had our friend Bob Brown on as a guest for that episode, and um, it should be good to revisit that one uh, uh, several months after originally reviewed it and uh, to see how our thoughts have changed. That's right. And another album yeah. that that challenged and stretched us. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for joining us and we hope you all continue to be safe and well. And we will talk to you next time on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks so much. Take care. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.